How are we doing, everybody? Welcome back to the newly titled Crime Theory uh, with myself, Ron Swanson, and of course, John Wedger here on the Sean Atwood channel. Now, we've had a, a couple of great episodes, and moving forward in episode four, we're going to start looking back at the comment sections of the previous episodes, uh, maybe answer some questions, maybe uh, put some polls up for what cases you guys have suggested, and really carry the conversation forward, because that's what this show is meant to be about. Tonight, we've got another incredible uh, look into two cases uh, with the mind of John Wedger, you know, tying them together. And what I'm going to, I'm going to refer to as devil worship abuse, shall we say. There's another term for it. It's a very serious term, but it will be censored for, you know, partially censored throughout this podcast because of uh, the algorithmic overlords. And... It's fascinating. So the Yorkshire Ripper, the Moors murders, we're covering these two cases this evening. And before we del delve into that, John, how are you? How has your week been? Fill us in on how you're doing. And, uh, and I hope you're doing well, sir. Yeah, no, no, all's good. All's good. I'm, I'm working hard. I, I work um, six days a week. Um, and three of them days, I'm on my feet from 6 a.m. to 1 a.m. You know, it's crazy at the moment, but needs must. Um, and that's what I'm doing. I'm I'm working a lot with um, uh, very damaged kids, and I do a lot uh, to try and keep um, uh, offenders out of the prison system. You know, um, uh, and I and I do other bits and pieces. So it's flat out it's flat out so but i'm happy i'm happy you know it, it keeps me going i'm always happy when i'm busy uh, but you know we're, we're living in interesting times i mean uh I, i'm i'm relishing in in what's coming out with itv at the moment regarding philip schofield yeah that is very entertaining news yeah. um have you it's, got it's incredible have you got anything you want to uh, throw well, throw on the fire before we, we jump into the main topics uh, yeah, regarding Mr. Schofield? Yeah, I I I mentioned this guy I think on on a Sean Atwood interview uh, many years ago and and said there's something seriously not right about this fella, and that came out of my my own experiences um, many years ago in the police. Um, I won't go into it at this stage because legally I don't know where I stand with it. Of course. Um, uh, so, so I just have to leave it at that. Well, uh, but as you know, I, imagine... I, I, did I did mention on an interview there's something really not right with this guy. Yeah. Um, and then when, when we see his brother um, sentenced to 11 years imprisonment, uh, you know, for uh, child um, stuff, you know, there's something, in my opinion, seriously wrong within that family. But what, what really? Um, annoys me but it, it, it again we're seeing a pattern we're seeing a, a modus operandi by the, these tv channels we've seen it you know with savile we we've seen it with um many of these celebrities gary glitter um and again with um uh you know people like max hastings and it, you know, all, all others that yeah. they're sort of allowed to get away with it and anyone who dare criticizes is attacked yeah um horrifically by by legal teams three well-paid legal teams and it's they're a bit like mercenaries aren't they you know they don't care what they do as long as they're paid a fee for doing it and they've got no moral compass whatsoever and but in it, it it's saddening and it is it's it's bullying and and i i just think that they're just as bad 
as the people they're representing, in, in my opinion. And I know that from, you know, serving many years as a child abuse investigator, there, there were certain uh, chambers, barrister chambers within the temple, uh, which is like the, the hub of, 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 you know, barristers for cheer. Um, and there, there's certain chambers that will not represent sex offenders. And I found that quite an honourable thing that, you know, that they'll, they'll take on any cases, but when it comes to sexual offending against children, they're not interested in, yeah. in, in what a defendant has to say. And and I like that stance. I know that in order for justice to prevail, fairness needs to preside. But, um, you know, let, let someone else deal with that. You know, um, decent barristers need not get caught up in that. Uh, sure. But, you know, we, we, we're seeing how he's he's gone and got the big guns out and and paid for £30,000 per month for a crisis management team to go around deleting any social media stuff, which is pretty much what we see when my videos go out, and especially the ones I did with Sean, where um, they were removed because I would talk about pedophiles, I would talk about sexual abuse, and give my opinion on things, and bang, they, they just... I think I had three-quarters of my videos removed. Uh, for, you know, so so this is what they do these these snakes, but it always it always comes out. We saw it with a BBC. Yeah, you know the the, the the writing was on the wall. It 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 always comes to the top. You know, there's a warning there for these media companies. You're going to be caught out. It's going to get out, and it is going to get out one way or the other. You know, the yeah. the, the cracks in the dam are, are appearing. You know, you might as well deal with it instead of protecting this this maggot of a man. And um, there, there's going to be an inquiry because they can't get away with um, what they did with the Saturn. Yeah. Internal inquiry where it was just totally whitewashed. They know that people won't put up with it anymore. Yeah. Um, so we'll wait and see how they manage this. Absolutely. And the other thing that, you know, we've got to look for now is are there many other victims? You know, if, in my opinion, in my experience, that, you know, OK, Schofield, we, we can't um, uh, accuse him of pedophilia at this stage, um, but there is that underlying inference that this is the case. You know, we'll have to wait and see what the evidence is, you know, because he's known this boy for many years. And, you know, the rumours are that he has a propensity for the younger man. Uh, they, they keep calling him a young man, but it's yeah. not. You know, this is a boy. And he said he knew him at 16, but, you know, under under the provisions of the Children's Act, you know, a, 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 you know an under-18 is a child. So it's a child, uh, you know, and, and the man is in his 60s. Yeah. So what the hell's going on? Um, I'd like to also know what what the the opinion of this boy's parents, how, how do they feel about it? Yeah, well, you know that they're kind of exploited in, in such an appalling manner. Well, like you say, you've got inside knowledge. It's one of those topics that I'm assuming once these things are, are public knowledge, you'll you'll speak a little more on it tonight. Our first our first case that we're going to look into is an infamous one from the UK, uh, Peter Sutcliffe, otherwise known as the Yorkshire Ripper, and this was a gruesome gruesome case and john you you you've got some interesting insights into this and we're going to look then at the moors and you're going to tie it together with a theory of your own so let's let's get started and uh, tell us a little bit about peter sutcliffe 
Well, I mean, Peter Sutcliffe, um, he, he, well known for a serial killer of prostitutes in the, um, the Leeds area of, of Northern England. And, um, I mean, he was active between 1975 to 1980, and he actually got convicted of 20 concurrent life sentences with 13 confirmed murders. Um, and what what is striking about this, it, it all occurred in the West Riding area of, of Yorkshire. Now, the, the, the Byford report, what, which was conducted into the failings on the, the Yorkshire Ripper thing, and the find, I mean, this was conducted in the 80s. The findings weren't released until 2006. You know, so why the need to cover it up? And we've we got to look at, again, um, Jimmy Savile's connection with... Um, uh, Peter Sutcliffe, yeah. and the fact that one of the victims was found in, in um, his, uh, was it Alderhay, where he lives, where Savile had an apartment, okay. and um, uh, one of the victims was, was sort of basically laid outside of um, the block of flats where, where Savile had an apartment. Wow. And, and again, they, they maintained a, um, a close relationship with him, too. He, he was always visiting him in Broadmoor and, and was given the um the keys and the um you know the fellowship so, to the elders of Broadmoor or something you, like that. He, he was entrusted with you our, know access all areas, which is very bizarre. I mean, who is this guy? Who is Savile? Yeah. And, and for what your, reason would you would you align yourself? Do you, do you feel like the body being left outside that block of flats was that almost done in a tribute sort of way, do you feel? Yeah, um, yeah, it's bizarre, isn't it? Um, it's I know it's that very bizarre. Savile, Savile was brought in, and if if all my memory serves me well, I think they they took his um his his bite mark, his his denture imprint, um, his teeth imprint. Sorry, because bite marks were found on on the victim, and Savile was put up for it. And there was also a rumor that Savile might have been the hoaxer who did the voice. That, that led the inquiry away from where it should have been. I'm Jack. I see you are still having no luck catching me. I have the greatest respect for you, George. Good Lord. You are no near catching me now. And four years ago when I started, I reckon your boys are letting you down, George. They can't be much good, can they? The only time they came near catching me was a few months back in Chapeltown when I was disturbed. I warned you in March that I'd strike again. Sorry it wasn't Bradford. I'm not quite sure when I'll strike again. But it will be definitely sometime this year. I'm not sure where. Maybe Manchester. I like it there. There's plenty of them knocking about. They never learn, do they, George? I bet you've warned them. But they never listen. Well, it's been nice chatting to you, George. George, chapter Because there was um, uh, a tape was produced, was sent to the incident room, and it was um, claiming to be someone from the northeast, from sort of like a hindsight right. that way. That's right. Um, and it sort of led them away, and you know the rumours were that that was actually Savile's voice. Um, so who knows, bizarre, but I know that, you know, that he was looked at on a couple of occasions. That's... And and there were many, many failings within um, 
and the the incident room uh, uh, within uh, West Yorkshire Police. And this is something that that we spoke about in regards to the Jill Dando um, and and also the Rachel Nickel murders. That that you get this bizarre attitude from these senior investigating um, overseeing officers that doesn't make any sense yet they're allowed to, to um, carry on with some bizarre course of conduct which doesn't take the investigation in the direction it should be going yeah it's... it should be an intelligence-led investigation sometimes where it goes is away from the you know the, the, the information coming in you know you um, said you said something uh, in the madeline mccann episode uh, right towards the end you said you know, this is the biggest cover-up of the biggest gang, which is the file gang. And it always seems to be in cases that tail back to some sort of horrific abuse or child abuse in these cases where there's cover-up and conspiracy. It's ongoing. You've just told us that Jimmy Savile is connected with the Yorkshire Ripper. I just want to say to the viewers, at no point have we planned a series of, of videos where we're we're subtly inserting Jimmy Savile. It, this is this is mind blowing to me. I don't know if it's mind blowing to the viewers, but yeah, yeah there, there, there was there, there was one victim, and it was a, a young girl, and she wasn't a prostitute, and she was bludgeoned to death with a hammer, uh, with a ballpain hammer, and. This is where Sutcliffe um, came to be getting a, you know, a message from God. And, and he says in his interview that he looked up and, uh, and he said, he said, why master or something like that. He, he refers to him addressing a master. And they thought he was, he was talking about his um, delusion with God or something like that. But I mean, what if that it was actually Savile that was with him and, and he referred to Savile as as a master, which is a term which is used in, in secret societies quite a lot, worshipful master and things like of that. Of course, of course, um, yeah. With it within the hierarchy, and and of course it was out of his mo, it was out of context with the murders we've been continuing, uh, been doing pre prior to that. So this one was a bit of an anomaly, and and there was that bizarre comment that um, Savile made um, in. Um, uh, the interview that he does with Louis Farrell, and he says that women are brain damaged. Well, this is what happened to this young girl. She, you know, she was bludgeoned to death, and her, and her brain was smashed in. You know, um, yeah, I think I remember the quote. Yeah. I think he says, "Any longer than two hours, and you end up with brain damage." You know, that is quite chilling because yeah, it, we're talking about a man who. Once again, in the Jill Dando episode, we've shown clips of the Have I Got News For You episode where he refers to himself as a wrestler on national television who's feared by every private schoolgirl in the country. Who the... I mean, just rationally try and comprehend that sentence coming out of someone's mouth and then tying it back to Savile. This is a... And, and again, when you said about the, the Ripper call and the, the, the false call... It just all falls into place with his M.O. and the things that he does and putting it in people's faces. And it's once again mind-blowing because this wasn't something that I knew was even tied in with this case. And just to sort of circle back, just, in, just, just for a minute, just finish off the sort of summary for us, John, of, of, of The Ripper. And 
you know, just bring it back around. I'm just, I'm just wanting to make sure that our viewers understand the the magnitude of this guy's murders, and just how dark a case well, well, is. Well, yeah. So Peter Sutcliffe, he was a lorry driver, and um, from the from the mid seventies through to you know the early eighties, um, that part of the Yorkshire, uh, well, it, it did it did move over into Lancashire, but. That sort of region, uh, the northwest and uh, the north cluster of the UK, there was a, there was a lot of panic. A lot of women were standing in the streets because it, women were were getting murdered. Prostitutes were being targeted, mainly in the Leeds area, um, and they were just uh, being battered to death. And uh, they put it down to one person, and this is where the Yorkshire Ripper got, got the terminology. And then. Um, he he was arrested. Um, I forget what happened. There, there, it was it was some um, by the way that he got arrested for. Anyway, they linked it right. to him. And and again, when you when you look at his life, you know he was uh, a loner. He um, he was a very introverted individual. You know his dad was an alcoholic and a violent man, and he started using prostitutes. And then he ended up with, with this hatred for prostitutes. And I think one of them mocked him or something, mocked um, his penis or something like that. And um, he ended up um, he ended up attacking her. And and, um, and I think he went back and killed her or something like that. I'd have to, you know, recheck on it. But from then on, he, he got this bloodlust and started taking out all his inadequacies and his dysfunctionality and that on, on prostitutes. And there wasn't, um, it wasn't yeah, just, a, it wasn't a, just a murders. Run of it. Um, it wasn't just but, murders, was it, John? I, there was a, a series of attacks as well as murders. So th there were linked yeah, to Yeah, well. I mean, what, what they're saying, that there was, that they reckon that there was more. There was 23 confirmed murders. There were seven like, GBHs, and they, they reckon it was as much as 22 murders. But, you know, that, it could have been many more. And you, you know the, the this um, bizarre world of, of street prostitution. It's you know it's it's a can be a very dark place. I mean, I worked for quite a few years on um, Scotland Yard's vice unit, and you know my job was to go out with a partner. But it always team us up a man and a girl. Um, we would go out and uh, arrest and charge um, the street prostitutes. You've worked vice. Uh, and you've, you've, worked, sort of... you've worked vice, and you've worked uh, the child abuse section. You've had. A, yeah. I mean, these are serious sections of the police, John. Like just to sort of uh, so the viewers grasp your. Yeah, yeah. Just, just, just where this wealth of knowledge comes from, because it's not like you were sat at a desk or or you were out beating, you know, a beat cop. You were part of some very specialist task force and units. I mean, it's. I, and, I, and I'm not blown. Uh, I'm not trying to kiss anyone's ass here. I'm just making sure the viewers understand why John's opinion on these these cases has so much weight behind it. And you know, it, it's fascinating. And Sutcliffe and his reign. I mean, his absolute reign of terror. I mean, it was it was genuine fear across the country. It was legitimate. People were completely mortified and shocked staying in because of fear um do you feel that with murderers right and killers 
their 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 murders and those acts are often seen by them as their work or their you know their legacy if you will their what it is they've done and for me do you often for me i feel like there must be this standard where when they start killing and they start out on this this rampage that there's killings they're proud of and there's killings they're not proud of and I often wonder, are the ones they admit to the ones that they're most proud of and the ones that they don't admit to are the ones they're most embarrassed of and don't want to be connected to? Do you think that that mindset of learning a craft and being proud of what they're doing is an actual, it actually exists or, or, or not? Well, it'll, it'll be their little secret. It, it's it's a, a lust that, that needs to be fulfilled. It'll become an addiction to them. And they, they'll get to a point where they'll crave it um, and they can't operate unless they've done it and they'll, they'll fantasize over it. And, um, you know, they know what they've done. I mean, uh, with, with Peter Sutcliffe, he tried to claim that, that, that he was, you know, um, mentally broken and was unable to stand trial yeah. for that reason. Uh, and that, but, that, you know, it's, it's a defense in law. Uh, diminished responsibility mentally, course, but it, it didn't wear. But um, you know, if you, if you if you get one that actually tells the truth and speaks out and says why they did it, um, and and some of them they get they get gratification. There's um, there's a phenomenal individual that I know, a lady who's um, does work for the FBI as a profiler, and she specialises in child murderers. And and she was saying to me the other day, she said, you know, for 20 years I've been listening to this filth and these men are recounting how they've raped um, their own children and how they've um, tortured little girls and, and murdered them and that they it still turns them on and they masturbate to it. Yeah. You know, so there's no remorse or anything like that. You know, these are these are people that are so damaged and broken. Damaged and broken even in some cases doesn't cover it, John, because... Some of these people aren't damaged or broken in any way. They're born, they have a totally normal life. And for some reason, you and I are wired so that you enjoy your hobbies and I enjoy my hobbies. And for some reason, this is their hobby. Well, well again, it, it, it's, you know, where is the line? And a lot of people do get thoughts in their mind, but, but they never enact it. And it, and it passes by. And, you know, the more you've come from a traumatic background, the more intense... Of course, yeah, absolutely. Go. Um, but th th there was something really interesting that was taught many years ago, and it, and it's based, basically like hurdles when, when you know, like in a running race, and you, you get the, like the steeplechase, the hurdles, and um, when when someone starts to abuse, and they take an example of a guy who goes out to Thailand, and he's he develops a sexual liking for young girls. Now, he can't do it in the UK because he'll get caught, and he feels guilty if he does it. But he goes abroad, and for some reason, being abroad gives, gives him the anonymity. And it's a bit like when you get the Brits abroad, you know, that they're misbehaving. Uh, back home, they wouldn't do it yeah. abroad, and they start misbehaving. Because it gives them an anonymity. It's anonymity, um, and it must be, they must be able to justify a lot of this by, oh, if I do it in the UK, it's illegal because age of consent is 16. But if I go somewhere where it's 12 or 10, then that's okay, right? Because if I go to Amsterdam, it's okay for me to go into a cafe yeah. 
that I swear to God, that is a justific justifiable mindset for some of these individuals. That's all it takes, you know, is a plane ticket well, well, look, for them it, to sleep at night. Look, look, it's not saying that the, the, the thought process is morally right, but, you know, let's not put our standards on other people. You know, this is yeah. how... If you want to understand them, you've got, you, you've got to listen to what they've got to say, and it might be repulsive, but it, it's the truth, so, so listen to it. 100%, 100%. And, and, you know, this is what I'm saying. These hurdles are their justification. So they go abroad. What does it matter? You know, it's the same what people do to their victims. There's a need to um, denigrate the victim because it dehumanises them. And there was the one thing that, that came out of um, the, the research into, um, into war, soldiers in war. There was a need to give the opposition a, 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 a nickname, a, a denigrating nickname. You know, uh, they called the Vietnamese groups, um, and they called the Germans. So it, it, de it slowly dehumanizes them, and it becomes more like it, what their job is is one of pest control rather than of taking of a life. And it's the same when, when these people go out to these countries, you know, they, well, well, you know, they're in poverty and it's normal to them. And, you know, they actually see that they're, they're doing them a favour. And isn't it better that they get me than they get some real horrible pervert, you know, that's yeah. going to hurt them. Yeah. It's, and it's, so it's, it's what, what, what this up. guy will do, he'll go out there and he knows it's wrong. He knows it's wrong, but the, the lust is too strong. And the first night he might go out there and just, just see the scene, test the water. But his um, intention is not going to go away. In fact, it's building. It's getting stronger and stronger. His arousal is going up. And the next night he decides that, that he's going to do it. He's gonna, his, his mind's made up. He's going to pick up a young prostitute, a young kid, and he's going to have sex with them. So he does it. He actually goes through with it and he does it. And, and he's hit then instantly with, with repulsion, anger that he's done it, uh, disgust for himself, a loathing, right? But what's happened is that hurdle, that justification, it was very high to start with. And it was actually too high for him to, to overcome it because he was in the UK. There was no chance of him really getting hold of one of these children without the yeah. risk being there. Um, but going abroad, that, that, that hurdle got lower because the risk isn't there. The anonymity is now there. The hurdle gets lower and lower and lower, and he's justifying it in his head that these are people in poverty, the reasons we've just gone through. Yeah. And now so low, this hurdle, that he's managed to climb over it. Yeah. So he's done. And what happens then? He goes out. He wants it again. But that, that hurdle now is so much lower. And in the end... It's so low, he doesn't even need to make an effort to go over it. You know, it's just not, it becomes a normal thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and it's how it works in the, in the minds of a sex tourist or anyone. You know, even people when they prostitute for the first time, you know, oh, they're disgusting, I'd never go to one. But they're turned on, they want to use one. Yeah. So they do. You know, and then, I've, I've got quite a long, extensive list of knowledge on the tourism side of this i've witnessed multiple groups forums and gatherings on the dark web where people are arranging this sort of tourism how they are going to identify the individual who's come over and you know what what it is they're wanting to cater for and this is a massive issue and 
I hope everyone watching at home understands the extent of child trafficking, child abuse across the world, not just within the elitism sphere, but from a general population level, because when it comes to flying to our country for a male order, despicable, disgusting fantasy to be fulfilled, this is a multi, multi-million dollar active business that is flourishing year by year. The trafficking profit for just America is in the billions. And that's scary. Modern slavery has never been at a higher well, peak. It's scary. I mean, there's this argument about the legalization of prostitution. Well, it, well you know, it, it comes with its own risks as well. I mean, we've got to run a moral society here. And, you know, the, the implementation of brothels is not going to take away street prostitutes. Street no, prostitutes no. won't be able to work in brothels because of their chaotic lifestyle, their addiction to Class A drugs, which makes them you know, vulnerable to, to committing acts of theft and yeah, deception. So they're not the sort of people you, you want to have working around. Now, having worked for many years very closely with, with these women, you know, I'm telling you now, every one of them came from, from childhood trauma, yeah. every one. Uh, most of them came from the children's home. And they were all, all the ones I was dealing with were, were class A drug addicts. And they were all carrying life-threatening diseases, you know, contagious tuberculosis, hepatitis C, HIV, AIDS, the lot. And, and you know, things like contagious tuberculosis, airborne diseases. So wearing a condom, you, you know, it, it really is a pointless, um, it, it will stop you getting venereal issues, but it, it yeah. won't stop you copying things like, hepatitis C and, and contagious tuberculosis. Um, and, and a lot of the girls were lesbians, Yeah, uh, which is another, there, there is a charity that deals with street prostitutes and helps them. And uh, the findings of their survey was that 90% of the street prostitutes were lesbians, uh, but, which seems very ironic that, you know, they're in a business around a, a, a vernacular term, it cock, and yeah. that's not what deep down they're craving. I can remember questioning um, the, the sexuality of a prostitute once over this matter. And I said, you know, she told me, she said, most of us are lesbians, John. I went, well, how? Why? How did it work? She said, because men hate, hurt us. Men hurt us. Yeah, it makes There was one sense. girl, she, she, would, she would do unprotected sex. And of course, the guys would love that. And she would do unprotected anal sex. And she had every disease going. And I said, but you they'll take that home to their, their wives and all that. And her attitude was, F them, F them, John. I care nothing for them or their yeah. family. You know, and, and it comes back to the thing is when hurt people hurt people. And, yeah. you know, in, in order for some people to feel normal, you know, they, they, they have to create, a, you know, an awful situation or make someone unhappy. Yeah. But normalizing, it makes them feel part of something then. Uh, you know, and there was there was a hatred in this woman for men, an absolute hatred. But I I felt sorry for many of them because these were women that were, were just surviving. They were yeah. just feeding a class A drug addiction, which had come about through um, years and years of torment and abuse in their early years. It had never been addressed. It, there'd been no help. So they had kids taken into care, violent relationships, and the the class A drug addiction needs funding. And who's going to 
how they're going to afford it unless yeah. they're on a very highly paid job, which these weren't. Yeah. Um, is, is the only answer. It's the only viable answer. And if they had a pimp, it tended to be their boyfriend. So all this um, stuff we see on the TV about pimps on the street, and but it, it's a nonsense. If there's a pimp, they're usually um, they're, they're partner. And when you had the, the rent boys, the, the child prostitutes, the, the pimps tended to be older kids that were actually looking out for them. So there was a safety in having a pimp, uh, and as opposed to what is portrayed in, in, in all these nonsense films that we see. And they, you know, and it always makes me laugh the xenophobia of it. They've always got to be from Kosovo or Albania or somewhere like that, and it's, it's course, yeah. it makes yeah. me laugh. They they can get away with that level of sort of racism, but anything do, else, do you um, not think they won't allow it. by by have let, let's just say for a second during the era of the Ripper, the prostitution was legal, and these women, even the lowest tier of of the of that industry would no longer be seen as a criminal and it would be they'd be seen as lesser they'd be seen as maybe worth the police time if that makes sense because if it's not well, well if, does that make sense because a lot of the time when we look at serial killers in america it's prostitutes and in america there's a term which is the lesser dead and the lesser dead means you know these women are easy targets because no one gives a rat's ass if they go missing and if you're dumping one body in another state, it's even harder. Well, 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 well let's look at this. And, and we've got comparison here. Okay. Now, now, what 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 you see what you see with it is is that the girls on the street they get prosecuted under something called the Street Offences Act, and it's a very old Victorian bit of legislation, which really dealt with nuisance. And and there's a very strong child protection element within that um, act as well, which which stops children um, being uh, brought up in, in brothels. And, you know, these were women that were applying their trade and, and there was a common decency element. So there was a need to have some sort of decorum and decency in society. And you can see why they did it, because no one wants that brought into their backyard and, and with that sort of behavior it, a lot of other criminality um crops up and you know you end up with a drug dealing in there and it slowly goes downhill so yeah i think there is a need to legislate this behavior because it is antisocial um but um, you know it's not the police's job to to adjudicate on this or be their social worker you know let's the girls are there from for a, a deeper reason than than um than the police harassing them or whatever now leeds um and, and the yorkshire constabulary they decided that that you know for that argument you've just given that why are why are we um uh, pro prosecuting these girls and uh, and i agree i i think that when we would get these girls and they they would be charged and they would be bailed, most of them, um, and they'd get a fine from the magistrates, which would be a 50 quid fine, which, how are they going to pay that? They're going to have to prostitute to pay it. So it did seem a little bit pointless. Yeah, of course. However, there was a need to sort of not have these girls in, in neighbourhoods around decent folk. It, it, it's wrong, you know, that you know the police are there to protect decent folk, the standard person. Yeah, of course. And, you know, we can't have people urinating in the street, sleeping, you know, and we can't. But, but 
it's an indicator of a, a problem which needs to be looked at by other other sort of referral agencies. But what happened uh, in Leeds when they, they had these safe zones? Yeah, of course. So yeah, I they, that. They work these areas and then they're not going to face any harassment or prosecution from the police. Well, what happened? What happened? Assaults on the girls skyrocketed, girls went missing, and they wanted the police back. And it was a very, very ironic situation because when the police were back, the police knew them, they knew the police. You know, even them being prosecuted, you know, okay, it, it carried on. Um, and the police were just an obstacle in their way. But there was that flow of information to and from, and there was a protection that the police patrolling that area gave them. And the violent criminals stayed away, and they, the police did give them um, a, a comfortable level of protection, okay. uh, which they wanted. And they actually went polled, wrong term really to say, but they, they said we would rather have it how it used to be than how it is now. Um, and, and it's... Um, it's, it's just one of them things. But, you know, some of these, this old legislation is very good because it, it takes into account moral standards. Thanks for watching our podcast. It's with my sponsor. It's AG1 by Athletic Greens. So, Jen, as a pregnant woman taking AG1 in the morning, how's that helped you? Well, with the low energy I've been having due to being pregnant, AG1 has helped give me that morning boost that I've really craved. Bear in mind, if you are pregnant, consult a doctor before taking AG1. Jen and I get AG1 delivered every month, which makes it super easy to have as a daily habit. With the single serving travel packs, I never have to miss a day. Just mixing the powder into the water, drinking it first thing every morning before breakfast. That simple. If you're looking for an easy way to take supplements, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash Sean. Check it out. That's the word from our sponsor. Thanks for watching. Link in the description box below this video for AG1. I think what you've got to look at what works. There was a pilot scheme that went in Switzerland um, called Needle Park, and that was in Zurich during the 1980s, in which they um, allowed people to go into this park and just inject heroin. Um, and it caused... But that's, to stop it in the that's end. a terrible it's solution. That's a, that's, that's a solution that's been put in place by somebody who has no idea to tackle the, the, the problem that they're dealing with. Shoving everybody into a park, I mean, that's... But, 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 the, 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 and, and, and th this is a problem we get. We get people that, that don't understand the situation um, making decisions. And they, they don't understand the life of a street prostitute. What Whoa. they need to do is go out with units, um, go into to shopping centres and things like that, you know, um, the places where, where they get fed and, uh, um, and the charities that help them and, and speak to them and, and, and understand sure. who you're dealing with, profile the person you're dealing with and the genre of person you're dealing with. Um, but it's difficult putting, when, when you get these so-called sort of like middle-class do-gurus and they put their standards on others. And, you know, when you're dealing with people with class A drug addictions, you know, what do you expect is going to happen? You know, you, you give them five minutes, I'll, you know, come back in five minutes and then you never see them again and then you get disappointed. Well, they're, they're a drug addict. What are they going to do? Uh, there, there was one... Um, the Camden Ripper 
in more recent time, and and he was doing the same. He was um, uh, I can always remember he was active when I was working on the uh, on the on the streets. I think his name was Hardin, um, and a couple of girls did go missing. So we will, I don't think we'll ever know the full extent of of, of their victims because a lot of these um, girls and that you know the same with the, the kids from the care homes. Because you know, young people living on the streets, See, no one really knows who they are, how many there are, and they are fodder for, for these very strange, yeah. uh, dangerous perverts. What I find interesting is obviously when you talk about Sutcliffe and uh, Savile, and we spoke about the possibility of Savile being a key player for a group where perhaps he's acquiring or bringing in uh, young individuals or vulnerable people for these twisted people to, to do what they do. And he knew, all, you know, he knew all the secrets and that's why he was allowed to run the muck that he was. I think it's fascinating that he's connected to Peter Sutcliffe. Can you, can you give us a little bit more insight into how do you know how the two met? Do you know, you, you said something about meeting in Broadmoor. If the viewers, if this is like common knowledge and you, you know, you, you're, you're laughing at me here, I apologize, but there's, there's such a big picture here because I often refer to as the seventies and the eighties as the golden era for serial killing because of where technology was compared to now. There's not, there's no cameras, all the rest of it. You know, you couldn't just abduct a kid off a street anymore because there's so many doorbell cams, let alone government CCTV. So there seems to be a web forming with some of the most <laughs> horrific monsters, you know, for that period of time, they're all interconnected. Can you shed a little bit of light just for my sake and the viewers' well, sake? Well, well, yeah. yeah, well, I mean, I mean, Savile struck up a relationship with him, allegedly, his inception occurred. Whilst um, um, Sutcliffe was in the um, Broadmoor Hospital, you know, the uh, Secure Institution for the Criminally Insane, Stavell did have connection with with, with the um, with the, the the Yorkshire Ripper um, in, in the inquiry team. You know, they they did speak to to Savile. There, there's there's more to it, yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, you know? Um, you know, there's more. You know that if we know this little nibble that this is like this is a crumb this is the iceberg effect you know what i'm saying because like-minded monsters mingle you know and i like i've always got this theory that we're going one day going to find some dark corner of the dark web where genuine monsters and serial killers are anonymously chatting about their crimes and it, i know that sounds a bit far-fetched but i just feel like there's been so many monsters that are connected. They've got to connect some way. You know, there's got to be a reason for these two to bump into each other. There's got to be a reason for them to know what they know about each other, allegedly. And, you know, I've spoken to serial killers, school shooters from America with uh, the Phil Chalmers channel. And I've spoken with a man named Delmas, and Delmas has killed quite possibly 40 plus prostitutes and women and his mindset was i've already got dead hookers in the back of my truck why don't i just start trafficking drugs as well because if they're going to catch me they're going to do me for murder and who cares if my truck's full of drugs 
just to sort of back up the mindset of these people, and you were talking about a moral ground and all the rest of it, Delmas has absolutely no qualms. If he was let out of jail tomorrow, he would go back to killing. You know, he's doing multiple life sentences and he'll never see the light of day. But his, his, his killings were routine. They were strangulation and dumping the bodies. It wasn't sexual gratification thing for him. It was the killing he enjoyed. And there was no... Yeah. There was no overkill factor, if you know what I'm saying. There was no, you know, Jack the Ripper overkill. Do you, you see what I'm saying? It was that's the same MO every time, multiple times. But some of the... But, well, the, well, I mean... How, just with the, the Ripper's victims, how savage were some of the, the, the attacks on, on his victims, John? Yeah, yeah well, he, he, he bashed their heads in. He, uh, hammers, rocks... Um, you, you know, um, he, he, he sort of really did a number of them. I mean, uh, he, he Ripper, so there was mutilation as well. But, um, I mean, just to go back to what we were saying, sure. um, uh, that several, what you know, unofficially, that uh, the West Yorkshire Police haven't, um, uh, you know, confirmed it. However, one of the detectives says that, that Savile was brought in because he was named as a suspect. Um, so, uh, but you, the West Yorkshire Police haven't confirmed it. Wild. Uh, so, Wild. bizarre, isn't it? Well, you, you, you never know. I mean, uh, there, there's the rumours, like we mentioned last time, that, that Savile was an asset for the um, intelligence services. You know, so... Um, if that was a case, then you know the moment his name um, was um, put in the system, it, it, it would ping up. But you know, he—I mean, what he did was he. he uh, when we go back to Sutcliffe, um, he, he mutilated his victims, but he, he was using um, any tools he had handy. So he, you know, there was um, screwdrivers were used, knives were used, hammers were used. Um, and what does that tell you as a, as a police officer when you see a crime scene where a woman has had her head beaten in in a hand-to-hand, you know, there's no projectiles, it was up close and personal. What does that, I mean, surely there's a big difference between somebody who shoots somebody in the back of the head without them knowing and then a crime scene like the Rippers. I mean, what would be the the reaction yeah yeah well he, 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 he you know would have gone into um into a frenzy with it and um it it, it wasn't his motive wasn't just to kill them uh again you, you can tell a lot by how a body's laid out what sort of um suspect you're dealing with so um for example uh sometimes there's dignity and how they leave a body, they'll cover the body up, especially like if it's a naked body, they'll cover it up to try and give it some sort of dignity. Um, others will leave it open for, for everyone to see. Uh, you know, and Isn't you it? can tell as well that, that if someone's done it before, you know, or they haven't done it before because it will, it will have a sloppiness to it. Do you ever see uh, a progression? Will, it won't be defined in any way. Like, for example, some people in investigations see when some a criminal starts out on their spree and they're covering up the victims and 
it's a representation of their guilt for what's happened and they're covering it up from the world and do you, do you see ever see a progression where the guilt becomes less and less with each crime scene as they develop yeah yeah and and, and he'll become more and more driven so he generally thought he was doing society a favor um so he was he was dehumanizing these girls um by by seeing them it's just like rats really and and it was his job to to get rid of them what what good do they do they just cause yeah. misery and, and, and I, I think he first started out because um like i said one of them mocked him mocked his um sure his libido or the size of his manhood or something like that but also there was another argument over money yeah. dispute over money and the girl wanted more than than he thought it was worthy of and you know, he just thought that that was his job he um to to get rid of them to start with um it would you know this either someone who's come from a lot of childhood trauma so they'll, they'll be taken out you see this is one of the things you'll you'll find with, with people that uh get involved in extreme violence um and that they have come from a violent upbringing that they will attack everyone other than the person who hurt them of course so it's, it's how bullies are made because a bully is someone who has been bullied so they will find a need then to bully someone else and make them go through the torment uh, and the ridicule that they went through and the hurt and and they they enjoy it because it makes them feel normal because that's how they feel inside hurt and ridiculed and not loved so so they have to bring misery and and with that misery they say misery always needs company yeah. and and they feel part of something then but then they get driven. But also, you know, we can't rule out that 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 some people have a bloodlust, and you know, and are driven by whether it's voice in the head or or they're demonically charged. Yeah. When I've spoken to survivors of such ritual abuse, um, they they tell me about when when a child is sacrificed that that the whole environment is filled, it's charged with some sort of bizarre electricity. And and they all go into a frenzy, a frenzy of violence and sex, and smear blood over their bodies, and then start having sex with each other. The moment a sacrifice is done, and it sends them into this this, this craziness, um, and it's you know something that I've never experienced. But I suppose in a way you can look at it as a fever pitch, the same sort of. Um, group mentality you might get in in a war zone or you know, even in a concert to be honest i suppose when everyone gets all so charged up and it all i think a concert i think a concert is a brilliant analogy for the average person to try and understand what you're saying it's mass synchronicity it's mass it's it is a word where a collective group of people all experience the same thing and it's I can't remember the name of it, but it's exactly that. And a concert's a great way for you, you your viewers to understand this horrific, horrific, uh, ritualistic killings. And I'm really glad that you sort of circled back to this horrific topic of the, uh, the you know, the devil abuse, as I'll call it for algorithmic terms. Talk a little bit with me here, John, because when we, when we look at... Um, the Yorkshire Ripper, we look at the, the violence, the absolute destruction of these women and the fact that he did it so up close and personal. Where do you feel there is connections and an attachment with um, the Yorkshire Ripper to these 
devil worshipping rituals that happened? Do you believe that he was part of a a group? Do you believe that he was, you know, uh, you know, he believed that he was on a mission and you know, cleansing the the the, the earth of these horrible parasites, uh, as he as he thought. What evidence is there that there's a bigger picture to the devil abuse and the Yorkshire Ripper? And the reason I'm asking this is I'd like you to also comment if any of this ties in with Savile before we move on to the Moors uh, case, which I believe you, you have some interesting insight to the, to the same horrific rituals. So t tell us a little bit about that if you can, if I've, if I've got that right, John. We go on about in the, the topic of um, ritual abuse. So, you know, I've spoken to uh, many victims and survivors of, of SRA. Uh, these are intergenerational um, people where their parents, mainly their grandparents, grandparents crop up with, with amazing regularity, um, would take the children to rituals in which um, they were sexist, but also they, they were used um, to, um, to kill uh, human sacrifice victims, um, mainly babies. So with the young kids would be made to to these babies that were brought in for a sacrifice satanic uh, ritual meeting uh, a black mass and usually it's through stabbing um i, I think i must have spoken to a, a, probably about 10 to 15 um now they all say exactly the same thing yeah. and the um and just just to yeah, reiterate for you john you, you've just, I just want to just make sure because people are going to be saying, oh, I've heard people talk about this before. This is nonsense. John is a, like, is a former police officer who was in some very, very specialist uh, units within the police. That's why when John talks about this, I listen because <laughs> I just don't feel like he's going to sit and make this up. I just don't feel like he's going to, listen to an alleged victim and not be able to see through lies. You know, when you're trained to get information from people because you're trying to prosecute them, it works the other way when you're trying to establish a victim story and all the rest of it. So I just want to reiterate that what John is talking about is his experiences with survivors. The ones I've spoken to, they have reported uh, it's, uh, it's not a crime because he, these were children that were, were beyond the age of criminal responsibility. These were usually six, seven-year-old kids, and nine years of age is the age when you're accountable for your actions. So, that, so they were young, um, and they were used as a tool um, to, to sacrifice. And, and really, so the reasons for doing it, the, the devil does things for more than one reasons, but also if, if a young kid of that age does it, then there is no criminal act. Um, there is a bigger uh, conspiratorial um, act of, of, of murder, abduction, kidnap, whatever going on. Uh, but there's, there's a need to, to traumatise and terrorise um, the, the, the victims as well prior, prior to death, which raises the, the adrenaline. But also these people get, get immense delight out of tormenting and terrorising. Yeah, um, and they get a, they get a bloodlust. It's uh, for uh, it, and um, see it as you know when a Christian you know has a devout feeling for a prayer, 
right? And the, the, the faith they put into that, it's the exact same thing for these monsters. That is their conviction. That is how... And, and I'm not comparing the two. I'm just giving the people out there a way to sort of grasp where these horrific individuals' mindsets are coming from and where it is that they're channeling this horrific energy to. It's, it's their deity. Well, it is their deity, and their deity wants blood, and their blood sacrifice is the diet in which which feeds the, the, these these monsters, you know, ultimately it's Satan. Forces at play here that are very easy to sum up as satanic, and it's very easy for us to need uh, a way of understanding and to use terminology that is common, like Satanism and Satan. But I genuinely believe that this is way older, way darker, more evil than you can comprehend than the palatable story that is the devil in hell. Well, 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 whatever it is, it's a reality, and um, and it works. Um, and when we, you know, I've also heard uh, accounts from uh, South Americans who practice a thing called Santeria. Um, I've heard it from from the West African community. Yeah. Um, with voodoo, and um, uh, and and it goes on. There's one in Jamaica called Obia. Um, and it's it's all the same. Yeah. It's all the same when you break it down. It is blood sacrifice, correct, and it's a worship to to these deities, correct. And and for and and, and a different deity will will have a um a different power, a, a different um dominion yeah. genre or whatever. And um you know they they do it because there's a reason. It, it could be. For, for success in business, it could be oh, it's, to, to, to get rid, rid of competition. Yeah, it could be any of those reasons. And when we look at rage and pain, okay, think about when you stub your toe, right, and you get filled with anger, how quickly that anger comes on, John, right? So then when we look at how quickly your mind has changed through an action, anger and rage, if you can be aware of how much energy that's produced next time it happens. This is part of what they do. And when we talk about, you'll have heard the statement before that, oh, there's a weird feeling in this house because, you know, someone was murdered here and it leaves that residue, okay? When you're torturing someone to the point where they're being gutted alive and they're experiencing every ounce of that pain, the energy that comes from pain is so great. Do you see what I'm saying? And these, oh, oh, they, of course, this, oh, oh. and that is why it, it, it they do it. Yeah. It's like it'll a currency. Residual. Yeah, it'll be residual. I mean, how many people have bought houses and and they they can't stay there because of the directed feelings? I mean, that's what I'm churches, saying. Churches, oh, churches crop up constantly, constantly, and and you know some church and some churches are built on on even older places of worship. I mean, just so, just so and, you understand, even, my, point, uh, my point's not so much them, about... They, they still use the old... Yeah, my point isn't so much about the residual energy. My point is about how energy is created. And an easy way for us to understand this as a reality is we've all experienced a weird feeling in a haunted house. Imagine that negative energy being created in the moment whether it's a killing or a sacrifice, that energy created in a moment is so vast when it's offered in the same way as praying is offered 
that is how these rituals are conducted, whether it's blood magic or whether it's a basic Wiccan white magic uh, outward uh, spell that's being cast. It's all energy that's being well, used. Well, they'll, 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 they'll see, and, and not only that, we're talking, you know, we're talking about energy that's in there, but what about these people that are active in, in, in that sort of worship and they're active in, in the mutilation and the rape and the murder of children? Now, um, there were rumours that Jimmy Savile was a scientist, that there was intelligence and information that Ted Heath was an activist. Um, the Range List is a phenomenal document, which is, um, again, uh, showing you know, people in popular culture that they were involved in these practices. And some of these go on to television. Um, I'm not going to name him, but there, there was one politician who sort of always proclaimed his innocence. Um, and I, I've heard him being named before as involved in, in the rape, the torture and the murder of children. And I've seen this guy on the television and you can, for me, I could see the demons dripping off of him. Yeah. Um, but, but again, we can't prove anything. What is very bizarre okay. is that the range list is this list, which, which had a real credibility to it regarding its origin. Um, and, and who composed this list, and this was a highly acclaimed, um, very professional therapist, a psychologist, psychiatrist, who, who had treated many, many um, survivors of sexual abuse and started dealing with ritual abuse and people with DID. And only if two or more people named, independent of each other, named the same person, so there is an extended list, then it actually went down on this list and they've never been able to sort of refute this list and, and, and get rid of it. Dr. Joan Coleman, incredible bit of work she's done. Wow. Um, and, and, but if we go back, I generally believe that this range list was the list that was handed to David Cameron by Philip Schofield on Good Morning TV. Oh, very likely, yeah. I generally think it was. If it was, um, if it was now, easily to obtain on the surface that, of Google, I imagine that would be the extent of Philip Schofield's yeah. capabilities. Um, you know, uh, and did did he give? I mean, I'm not saying for one minute that um, Schofield's innocent of anything, um, but it would take it to another level if um, if that was a case. Of course, the the range list has has been handed. Um, to to David Cameron and to Theresa May, um, Robert Green, the phenomenal campaigner who um, uh, spent two two spells in the Scottish prison system for for exposing ritual abuse um, involving Down syndrome children. Robert yeah. Green, if you if, if you don't know him, please Google him. He's yeah. an incredible individual. He personally handed the um, the reins to Theresa May, and um, I handed it also to um, the police and crime minister at the time. So the government are aware of the range list. They've been given the range list, um, yet nothing's ever been done about it. Um, and, and if we go back to, to, to prostitutes, I mean, prostitutes are used um, in, in ritual um, abuse and they're used in ritual sacrifice. Of course. There, there's, um, I spoke to um, a former street prostitute who went on to write a book um, called Dances with the Devil, um, Audrey Harper. Uh, she wrote a book about her time as a, as a street prostitute and, and she was um, taken to um, 
satanic rituals. Um, she'd experienced the uh, murder of children and the drinking of, of the blood of the victims. And also they, the coven used her to, to, in an attempt to try and procure other children. Um, and it's a, it's a valuable insight. I mean, I've, I've read a statement yeah. by uh, Mr. Chu um, regarding a street prostitute in London. It, it, at the same period of time that I was working the streets of London, uh, that she was, um, they would regularly get pregnant, these girls. And this guy said to her, don't get rid of it. Um, what you've got to do is you nurture the child. You, you know, if you don't need to work, we'll, we'll, we'll look after you drug-wise. Um, but have the baby, um, but we'll, we'll support, support you in a private clinic while you're having a baby, but um, here's £2,000, we'll take the baby. Yeah. And and this woman went on to supply a couple of children to, to this guy. That's and she said it wasn't just her, there was many others. So, so there, there is a regular supply yeah. um, of, of children for these things, and there's, there's uh, women themselves that are in the coven that will happily get pregnant, uh, yeah. fetuses, abortions are used, uh, all sorts of things. So we haven't got to look at these um, trafficking of kids uh, from the third world to the UK for the purpose of it. it you know, th this sort of practice has been going on long before, you know, people even travel from country to country. There's a regular supply. Um, I spoke to another guy um, who went on to write a book uh, called No Human Touch about his time as a rent boy on the streets of London as a, as a, as a young boy prostitute. And where, where kids were regularly going missing, um, would be picked up by punters and would never be seen again. So, um, John, we've, just, just before you carry on, we, we, we've looked at the Ripper, right? We've looked at the Ripper. We've looked at the possibility of him being connected with some sort of ritualistic abuse, lust, or, you know you know connection to something really dark the the evidence would support that if you were a frenzied killer like the ripper and you're lost in the moment and you're you're doing it in such a violent horrific way it emulates torture it emulates sacrifice and it emulates the 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 savage state that these individuals are claimed to go into during that process and I really think that you, you, you've, you've struck on a really good and interesting theory with Savile and the Ripper and a darker lust that maybe the Ripper was feeding because from a public point of view, a murderer is bad enough, but a demonic worshipping, you know, like abuse ritualistic monster is so much worse, if, if that makes sense. But, yeah, yeah I, I mean... How do these people know each other? Um, That's now, what I mean. Uh, How do they know each yeah, other? Yeah, yeah. I mean, years ago, um, there was a song came out. I can always remember. Uh, and, and when I was in the police, I would see people that were pretty ineffectual and useless, to be honest. Yet they, they, they'd know people and they'd, they'd get these good jobs, which were they, they were totally underqualified to get and, and inexperienced, yet they'd get them. And I'd work when I would go into specialist units. And, you know, I was good. I knew what I was doing. And I would work with some of them were absolutely feckless idiots. You know, and I thought, how, what are they doing here? And then it dawned on me a little bit later. Um, and it was funny enough, it was someone else said to me, how do you think they know each other? And it was because they were Masonically connected. And so the common denominator was they were Freemasons, and that's how they got the job. That's how they knew about the job. And it, 
one, one job I went for, um, it was uh, it, it was it was a really good job, and I, I got pulled in because um, I was leaving the unit I was on. Got pulled in by by uh, one of the officers that was a, a high ranked officer in the intelligence side of things, and he went, "I hear you're leaving us." And I went, "Yeah, yeah, I'm moving on." He said, "Well, where are you going?" I said, "Well, I'm I'm applying for a job. I've not got it yet." He said, "What job is it?" And they they used to have um, a publication, an internal publication would come out, and the jobs would be advertised in the back. I said, "It's this one here," and you'd read through the job description. And it tell you what it was, uh, and the um, capabilities that, that are required, and and you know the criteria, and it would have um, a, a number of an officer that that you would have to contact for further information. And he looked at it and he went, "I know him," and it turned out he was in the same lodge as this guy. He went, "I know him." He said, "I tell you what, I'm, I'm going to do you a favour." He said, "You know, we all need help every now and then." And he rang him. He rang him straight away while I was there, and he went, uh, "Wow." No, this job, this job, and he went, yeah, yeah, yeah. How you doing? And so he said, look, I've got a lad here. I want to really sponsor him. He's a good boy. Yeah. He went, okay. He was on our speaker, and he went, okay. He said, right, get a pen and paper. And so we get a pen and paper, and he said, right. First question is, blah, 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 blah. The answer is this. The next question is, but it only went for about five questions. He needs to know. Uh, these criteria, this criteria, there's a lot of um, diversity stuff comes out. So you, you'd have competency related to the job uh, scenarios, and then they would have um, uh, a few questions on diversity. Um, so it ticked all the boxes. Yeah. And he went through, right, he needs to know this, this, and this, and this. And, um, you know, any problems let us know and so all of a sudden i led what they call a reading list i had all the questions and all the answers yeah. and that was my first glimpse into how freemasonry works right. you know okay. and no i wasn't in them but that that was how it works so um and that's how they do it you know now let's take that another step further what if like we mentioned on our last um chat was you know the greatest um secret societies out of the of the far realm well let, let's refine that even more and we take it from pedophilia into satanism in, into this darkness you know this ancient worship which is highly structured highly disciplined okay and people lose their lives on this you know if, if you've got a, a, a rat in the house you know oh, you're gonna die yeah. so you you, you grass on anyone you die and that's that and there's many testimonies in the range list as what happened to people who spoke out and they get killed and that's that. So again, there might be unsolved murders that result of someone speaking out. And we're talking about highly traumatized people. We're talking about people also with, with DID, disassociated identity disorder, multiple personalities, you know, and, and mentally ill. So they'll never be legally yeah. taken seriously anyway. Of course. But this this is the glue that binds them together. That yeah. this is how they know each other, and it, and it wouldn't, in my experience of of, of investigating sex crimes against children, uh, and and also you know in, in more later years the the demonic worship and what goes on there. Yeah. And I wouldn't say I'm an authority on it, but I'm I'm not far off it. Um. It, it's quite feasible that this is how these people know each other. I think um, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think 
when it comes to the demonic and the dark and the underworld of that side of people, I don't think for the majority of those people it's an attraction to children that leads them into that darkness. It's just their views on innocence and what they're willing to do for their deity. It, it, we can't even contemplate well, the well, levels well, of well, it, it. It will be multi-level. Again, of course, like yeah, of course it will be. One of my reasons that there will be people there that will be sadists. Of course. There will be people there that, 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 that like children, that like having sex with children. Of course. That, that reality is mentioned constantly and the mutilation and the enjoyment they get um one one lad he told me um he said you was never allowed to make a friendship and he said so there was at ritual and he was caught talking to another boy so what they did was they made him and this was in a church and this was in Hampshire. Hampshire seems to be mentioned all the time so they they made him uh, so they had the, the, the high-ranking, worshipful master, uh, chief lizard, whatever they might be. I don't know what they call them. All, uh, you know, um, the top ones wear white, the rest wear black, hooded gowns. And they made these two boys strip naked and fight each other. And he said, I hurt this boy. And he went on the floor and they made me keep punching him. They, they, then, gave, they ma then made him the other boy. So they made him rape him. Um, and then they gave him a knife and made him stab the other boy to death. And I said, well, what were the, all the others doing at the time, grown, grown adults? He said they were masturbating and having sex while they were doing it. So they, they, were, they was getting a sexual enjoyment uh, watching two boys in a, in a naked gladiatorial fight to the death. I, I mean, and, and these are people that no one got prosecuted for this, and, and this boy went on to, to, to be mutilated and... Um, who knows what else happened? But they they also eat the body parts. They take enjoyment out of biting the heart. Yeah, of course, I, yeah, I heard of one ceremonial. You know, one boy one boy where his heart was cut out. And they beat him, and this kid went down as uh, he still is a missing person to this day. And information has been passed on to the relevant police force, and nothing is done. So, and they bit the heart, and the the kid, the, the girl said there was another one. The girl said that when they took this boy's beating heart out and bit it. And it stopped, and that's when they said it was like an electricity, and they all started squealing like pigs. Well, you, uh, yeah, no, I've, I've heard it all. You know, another way of comparing this into something that people can get their head around is, is collective belief and faith can affect reality. And that's why I believe that, you know, when you see like bleeding statues of Jesus only seem to bleed in tiny little Amazonian villages where their whole life is their worship. And that collective faith and belief is so right. deep it can manifest something like that uh, in my opinion and for for these monsters that that do this the collective belief and the power that they have in the secrecy of the level of horrific crimes that they're committing amplifies all of this for them and when you talk about electricity and you talk about when a beating heart of a child stops and it's felt in the room, it's the collective unity of these horrific individuals that are amplifying that. And when we look at uh, magic and we look at all of that side, humans and energy are look, it's easiest way of, of looking at it is almost like a fuel cell. And the more fuel cells in the room, the greater the ability to force that energy 
to where you want it to be is. It's fascinating that the Yorkshire Ripper was so violent, targeted prostitutes, the lesser dead, as we've talked about. He was violent. Uh, it wasn't just murders he was caught for. And there's this underlying demonic factor that I feel ties in with this. Now, okay, so we've really delved deep into the possibilities of the demonic side of the, the Ripper, his acts, looking at the, the, the devil abuse and the realities within prostitution that really created the easy targets for the, the Yorkshire Ripper and many killers, in fact, around the world. The next thing we're going to look at is a horrific case. And previously in my, my Hurtcore documentary, I, I, we looked at killers who documented what they do for watching back and all the rest of it. And the Moors murders was really a, a huge case because of that factor that they, they recorded these horrific ordeals that these kids went through. And it was a duel you know, it was, a, it was a couple. Give us a brief summary of what you know of the case, John, and then take us through um, just how horrific this case really is, what these kids went through, and how this can be associated with these devil-worshipping monsters. Well, I mean, we've got um, Maura Hindley and Ian Brady, the boyfriend and girlfriend, and this was going back to uh, 10 years prior to... Um, uh, our man Sutcliffe, um, and they, they they killed five children, and and four of them were sexually assaulted. Um, and and funny, funny enough, I uh, I know a guy who actually um, uh, brutally beat up uh, Ian Brady um, in prison. He got hold of him, and uh, a guy I know once he was serving a sentence uh, in the same nick, and he managed to gain access to. Um, uh, the I think in the showers or something when Brady was in there and he he, he brutalised him, but yeah they killed they killed um, five children and um, and four of them were, were sexually assaulted. Um, uh, yeah, Myra Hinley never really um, she went not guilty and but she did proclaim um, she, uh, her guilt in 1987. Um, Brady is quite an interesting character and it is a connection. He said Brady uh, was diagnosed as, as being a psychopath, um, he's he's from um, the Gorbals. He was um, his, he never knew who his father was, and his mother never mentioned who his father was, and she couldn't cope. So he was actually sold um, to, to another couple and brought up by by a, a different family. Uh, he's from a very rough part of, of, of Glasgow. Glasgow was rough anyway. Uh, I think he had a, a troublesome childhood, um, and he even. He went on to uh, his first signs of it. He, he killed a cat uh, when he was 10 years old and sort of gloated over the death of a cat. So, again, the hurting of animals um, uh, is something that, which is um, always sort of um, prevalent in, in, in people of this calibre. But of course. He's, he, ended, he, he ended up um, in, in the, the West Riding area of Yorkshire. Um, in a place called Hatfield, um, which is uh, where, um, uh, you know, our man Sutton from. So there's a geographical connection. And then he spent a long time in Manchester. And that the um, the children were abducted and murdered in, in Yorkshire. And uh, they were, uh, you know, a boyfriend and girlfriend team. And, you know, uh, Hindi would be used to, to lure the kids in. And they would uh, then 
butcher them, sexually abuse them, and, and then murder them. Um, it, and the strange thing is, is the people that, that came to the assistance of Moira Hindley. Um, you've got um, Lord, Lord Longford who always campaigned for her release, despite the fact that, that, that she admitted her guilt in the end in 1987. You think, well, who would who would do that? You know, why would someone want um, to, you know, for, for this person to be to be released? It's um, it's bizarre. Um, you know, I, I think that, that there is a very satanic element to what they're doing, and uh, you know, when, especially when multiple children go missing, um, where do they end up, and what what are they put through? So, so you know, once they're they're taken, um, and then their their bodies are found. I mean, what went on in that time? Um, could yeah. these children have been taken and and? And used in a ritual was were, were these two procurers um, for children for a bigger picture. Um, we, we don't know. We don't know. Um, kids are a commodity, and and there's people that will pay a lot of money for children to be to be brought to them. Uh, now I get this from um, from this woman Audrey Harper, and and she says that in her book that that the coven were always always wanting children to be brought to to parties so as well as the ritual side of it you know the coven would also um like to have orgies in which children were a main ingredient for them so this is where you know the normalization of people here it comes into it uh, so there's always a need for these children one way or another that, that was the other thing they re they recorded it didn't they and um yeah well that's killed kids they would, they would chopping our fingers off. He's dealing with serial killers. The tape recording of Leslie Ann Downey shocked everyone who heard it. We know what happened to Leslie Ann because, you know, there was that gruesome tape that was found. You know, she was screaming for her life and it was it was the last moments of her life and, and that never went away from any of us. You know, that, it's an interesting thing that none of us ever... <sighs> We never came to terms with that. Even as journalists, you see a lot of terrible things. But, but I, I mean, I could cry now when I think of it because, because I know... For um, me, why... Documenting something like that is either for self-gratification and, and reliving it, or it's to show that you've done something, but not just killed someone. So, for example, if your mission is to abduct a child and prolong death and torture them you could kill them quickly and then mutilate them and be like oh look what i've done whereas putting the recorder on and having this horrific ordeal go on would be the video recording of the time of the era for evidence for showing a potential higher overlord of this coven style uh a, you know, devil crew. The evidence of what they've they've done and the horrific extent that the kids have went through. I mean, that could that be could that be a th uh, the case, John? Well, yeah, it may well be. I mean, um, then you've got to look at these people and their backgrounds. They they come from traumatized backgrounds, and um, it, it's the same thing. You can quite easily start profiling these people when we look at. Um, Fred and Rose West as well. You know, there was 900 um, videotapes for season 
Bear in mind, Fred Bass used to make his own porno films, and um, there were he, he ran like this this club, this dirty video club, you know, where a load of perverts would meet up. This was before the internet, years before. You know, and the, the West were abducting children and murdering them, and they even killed their own children. Um, and and Bro's West was very promiscuous and, and was always having sex with other men while he would watch and um, and also seen. But they had this this uh, perverted video club, and and there were rumours that there were police officers who were involved in this club. And 900 videos were seized, and not one of them was ever viewed, um, and they were they were all destroyed. And it was only because um, one detective, um, she started drawing a parallel between missing children and, and this family. Um, she wanted to get a warrant to search, you know, that, that house um, in uh, in Gloucester. I can't remember the, the name of the street now. Come to me in a minute. And um, uh, she, they, they kept blocking it. They, they wouldn't authorise it. And in the end, she... Um, she just went and got a warrant, and I think she might have uh, falsified a signature or something, and managed to get the warrant. Of course, they, they started finding bodies. But again, there's a huge cover-up around the West. Massive cover-up. And, and bizarrely enough, um, uh, Fred West lived in, in Coatbridge in, in Scotland, um, just outside of Glasgow. And children went missing in Coatbridge. And there was... Um, uh, a case of a girl called Moira Anderson uh, that went missing um, in Coatbridge, and it was her father. Um, eventually, uh, I think he admitted on his deathbed of, of killing her, but he was involved in a bigger group of, of perverts and, and like-minded people. Here is a word from today's sponsor, Aura. If you Google someone, you can find out all kinds of personal information about them. This information is accessible because of data brokers who profit by selling your information to robocallers, telemarketers, spammers. You can use my link, https dot dot forward slash forward slash aura dot com. Aura is A-U-R-A forward slash Sean Atwood, S-H-A-U-N-A-T-T Wood to try two weeks for free and see how many data brokers are sharing your info. Also linked in my description box on this YouTube version, or scan the QR code on the screen. Aura also monitors your emails and passwords to see if they were involved in a data breach and exposed on the dark web, and gives you the recommendations on what to do. Aura has almost every internet safety tool you'll ever need, all inside one app. And at the same time, Fred West was up there. so. These people all know each other. They're all so connected. And when you've got start getting serial killers of your children, you've got to start looking at a very much bigger, organised thing going on. Yeah. This isn't yeah. just one chaotic simpleton. Yeah. You know, no, no way. This is far accomplished and, and too connected for the likes of an idiot like Fred West. There was more, more to it. Um, especially when you've got killing the children i think you should start looking at, at ritual abuse stuff going yeah. on so obviously we were looking at a case the, the moors murders isn't you know it's, it's the 60s you know the knowledge of uh, ritualistic abuse and the way that information travels is so different now the the transcripts of one of the the victims um 
Leslie Ann, the the young ten year old girl who was killed. There's a section of the transcript of her her you know her death, the the, the tapes that the, the the pair made, and it's so upsetting reading this ten year old girl's reaction to what these monsters are doing to her, and her begging for her life, and it it it, it really sort of sets into stone how dark and horrific these, this pair was. And there was always um, arguments that w one was worse than the other and one was egging on and almost that one wouldn't, maybe this wouldn't have happened if these two weren't brought together. What What's your opinion on if these two had ever never met? Do you think that their um, the murders would have been so... Uh, so prolific. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, it's like most things on on your own. You're limited to what you can do. But when you get two together, it's not you don't do double the work. You do three times the work. Yeah. Um, and it's the same as the West. You know what the chances of, of two like-minded sickos getting together? But you know it does happen. Yeah. And people are are sort of drawn to each other. There's something that vibes with them. Uh, and when when they both got this bloodlust um, and this perversion, but. Um, uh, again, when 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 you get, you know, like like the satanic covens, where, where it's full of like-minded people, so you're not going to go find far to to find someone who isn't of of the same ilk, um, and, and you know it very very odd. But they, they, you know, they had a choice and they chose to do it. They chose to do it and they enjoyed doing it. And it's like we said before, you know, when 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 that child is in extreme pain. They they feel good. They feel happy. Yeah. And you you get that with a lot of people that, that you know what they cause chaos and misery wherever they go because they want to and it makes them feel normal. And these people have taken it to a higher, more refined level. You, you know, it's, and, it's, and they enjoyed it. It's it's fascinating because we've 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 looked at the Ripper. We've looked at the Moors. We're still talking about the Moors murders, but when we talk about people that do horrific things when you spoke earlier about the the prostitute that was had every disease and she was sleeping with people and they were going back to their wives and she just didn't care to me that's the same mindset as what's going on here it's yeah, just, yeah, yeah. it's just a longer well, well, of course and, and 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 similar background one of one of abuse yeah. um, rejection neglect torment hatred you know the ingredients are the same the diet's the same yeah, you know, and 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 what what does she leave behind? And 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 it's the same, you know. But when people torment others, you know, you you, you get that with domestic violence. You know, they might they might not be physically violent, but they could be like they, they torment their partner so much that the person gets sick and, and dies of cancer. Yeah, as a result of of, of decades of unhappiness. You no. know, you, you can do that deliberately, putting people down all the time and saying cruel words to them, knowing that it hurts them. After the Leslie Ann Downing murder, I didn't think in terms of redemption, but if I did, I would have said, I knew it was beyond redemption, that I would never, ever be anything other than what I've become, totally corrupt, evil, wicked. The worst parts of it were seeing Mrs. West in the witness box. And I was looking at her and she was giving evidence. And she saw me looking at her and she screamed across at me.
How can you look at me? She called me every name under the sun. And then Mrs. Kilbride was giving evidence. Finding it very, very difficult to do this Leslie and Downey thing. I think I'll have to be as brief as possible. There was a tape which isn't what people think it is, but it's bad enough and I just I just hurt so much to 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 think that I could have been such a cruel bastard. It suddenly hit me. Just what I'd done. And I think he sensed this. We were sitting next to each other. And he just put his arm, his hand on my arm, and squeezed my arm. And I turned around and looked at him, and he was telling me with his eyes to keep quiet. He started questioning me, and I always remembered him telling me that if ever anything like this happened, to not answer any questions at all, to say nothing. I evaded everything. The solicitor told me they'd found the body of a child. Identified as Leslie and Downey. Did I know anything about it? And I said no. A week, I think a week after that, I'm not sure. Um, they found John Kilbride's body. And they charged me with the murder of I think it was a murder of John Kilbride. Yes, it was. They set me down behind a table, and on the table was a large poster of John Kilbride. And they had this album, photographs, and they said to me, will you just identify these pictures or photos or tell us if, you, if you've seen them before? And I looked, and it was a morning scene. And I couldn't say I hadn't, because I was standing on a rock, and I said, yes. Um, and then they turned over the page, and it was horrendous. It was a picture, a photograph, just after they'd unearthed the body of John Kilbride. And I turned my head away, and I said, I'm not. Please close that door. I couldn't live with a burden of guilt anymore. It wasn't mm. just a sudden decision, thinking, oh, I better do this and I'll get parole in 1990. On the contrary, I yeah. told the police I, I wasn't applying for parole. It's widely believed that Brady, uh, I confessed because I knew Brady was on the verge of, whereas on the contrary, I confessed and he wouldn't until the July, until he. Until after they found Pauline Reed, and until he'd seen me on Saddleworth and knew that I was not messing about and I was going to where the areas of the graves were. And that's when he, the police began to um, get rambling garbage off him. It was the night of October the 6th, and I just had this awful feeling of dread. We drove into Manchester Central Station and he told me it wouldn't be long, unfortunately or unfortunately. He, you know, 
I, I interviewed um, one woman um, who, who ended up being convicted of the murder of her own son. And um, she was a manipulator and she'd come across all sort of nice and respectable, but you know, I, I outwitted her. And at that moment when she realized that I'd, I'd done her, she turned on me in, in, in a heartbeat and really, and she spat in my face and called me to see you next Tuesday. But because what I'd done was I'd, I'd antagonized and, and she'd ended up um, unwittingly unleashing the monster that was inside her. And I saw for that, the, the, you know, the very first time a, a brief glimpse into what her son would have experienced. You know, that, that, that demonic, spiteful, vile, anything goes beast um, that, that she won't show the outside world, but in private she'll show it. Yeah. You know, that other side to these people, uh, getting that slight glimpse into their world. Um, you know, there are some people that, that are dangerous and they are, they are evil. They are evil. Um, there was there was one guy and um, he got convicted of two murders. And one of the things was he, he enjoyed, he put in his, um, he killed, he killed his uh, victims through internal injuries, young girls, and he would put his whole fist and arm in, into into their into their body, ripping into their Jesus. organs, and, and that was, you know, how we got his pleasure. And a you know, normal standard guy with a job and everything else, but inside there was this monster, monster. this animal. Yeah, and you know, and, and then um, and, and it's the same with. Um, uh, we, when we mentioned uh, b before with um, th this guy Cousins, Wayne Cousins, um, I'm so happy that they're um, now uh, uh, going to do an inquiry into, into the officer who failed to investigate the allegations of him flashing because anyone who knows anything about sex offenders knows that flashes yeah. are very, very dangerous individuals. and. Yeah. If the opportunity is given, they will go from a very minor sexual offence to, to murder. It's not a progressive thing. It's, it's an insight into, into what is really going on inside them. Um, and, and the flashing is, is part of it. It's, it's that, that confidence that I can do what I want. And, and given the opportunity, they will do what they want. And it will be horrific. You know, uh, on, on a crime level, well, it's very minor, but... It's giving you an insight into the capabilities of, of this person. This person will kill in a heartbeat if the opportunity arises. And, and it's a glimpse, and it's understanding the mindset of these people. So, um, and this is where you, you do get experts and, and profilers that, that know this. And, and if the, the right information and training is given to, to, to investigative authorities and they, they can do a better job than just to ignore it and, and, and trivialise it. So during the 60s, when all of this took place, was there any, any cases off the top of your head that, you know, reinforce how prevalent the ritualistic abuse was back then to tie in the theory that the, the Moors murderers could possibly have been... Um, involved in getting children for ritualistic abuse or were tied in in some ways how how far back in you know the, the modern world is the prevalence of this ritualistic abuse in your opinion or in in cases that you know uh, uh, yeah um documented wise is not there's not a great deal it, it started really um 
coming to the surface in, in the 80s um, with what, what they term sure. as satanic panic. Okay. And cases actually started coming out. And there was a, a very brave politician called Jeffrey Dickens. And, and he actually um, really started making waves and went on to uh, Panorama uh, and did many interviews um, uh, stating that, that, that we should be looking at, at child murders a, a little bit more differently, that there could be a satanic element to it. And, and he, he ended up on the James Whale show and, and on Channel 4 and Panorama and everything. And, um, and unfortunately, he had an untimely heart attack and died. But he was the first real um, campaigner yeah. to, 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 to out, out this thing. Um, and, but we saw it, you know, um, in, in films in the 60s. You, you know, you look at films like Rosemary's Baby, the Hammer House of Horror films. Um, you know, Christopher Lee... Um, goes on about it when he's interviewed. He's a very interesting guy, Christopher Lee, because he, he always plays like um, Lawrence Van Helsing um, and Vincent Price would play Dracula or, or, or vice versa, um, you know, uh, in, in a lot of these horror, Hammer films. And, and he's interviewed and he goes on to say, this is real, do not mess with the occult. Yeah. And um, and, and he was actually um, worked for the intelligence services and was a member of the SAS, old he, uh, Vincent Price, um, no Christopher Lee. Yeah, yeah, and and he was cousin to um, um, the guy who wrote the James Bond books, um, Fleming. Yeah, you know, and uh, it, you know, so so they they had links with the intelligence services, and and he was like an authority on the occult, because so so it you know back then it was it was there, it was allegorically given to us. Um, and then it was only when it came, started really coming out. Even the, the Cook Report, Roger Cook uh, did a, a, an amazing um, uh, a documentary, uh, investigative documentary about uh, Satanism in the UK. And he, um, he went and confronted um, one woman who was an active Satanist. Uh, and uh, he even interviews the woman I mentioned, Audrey Harper, um, in, in his documentary. And then, th then they termed it the satanic panic, and they said that the people were just witch hunting and it was a load of nonsense, and we never really heard much about it. But when we, when we look at the parallels uh, between this, is that, um, that these were prolific murderers. Um, why they were doing it, unless they tell us, but we'll never truly know. But the one thing that, in my opinion, and, and, and if we can link this to, to what went on with, with the, the Fred and Rose West as well, was that they were, I, th I generally think they were part of a bigger picture. I think they, these people um, were, were connected, were linked, were procurers um, of children, and uh, they were part of, of of a bigger scene, as it were, not just um, self-gratifying paedophiles. I think these were part of organised paedophilic satanic networks. Um, without a doubt, Fred West. Uh, and I think, you know, um, the authorities need to look at his connection to this town of Coatbridge and the children that went missing now. Again, when we look at um, uh, our man Peter Sutcliffe, there, there, there's allegations that, that he may have murdered two Swedish tourists as well. We've got to look at missing people. Yeah. Uh, and and we also should be looking at absconders from care homes in the area as well. And I think you'll find that, that, that their victims are greater and their connections. And who comes to their assistance and who 
AIDS and Abetsy's people as well. Um, and and that should pretty much give you an insight into, into who these are. Why would anyone yeah. want to assist um, the early release of, of Moira Hindley? And there have been a few. There have been a few. Um, like I said, Lord Longford, I think, and I might be wrong, I think even uh, the actor Jim Broadbent was campaigning at one point for her release. I'm, I'm, so I wouldn't swear on that. And I know yeah. he did play in the dramatization of her life, but I think he was a, a pro Hindley supporter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, I, I wouldn't swear on that. I'd have to do my research in them, but I, I find that appalling. Why would anyone, yeah. anyone want to do that? And I think the fact that they do speaks volumes about their, their, their hidden personality. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, John, but my opinion is that they are, they, they are all connected. They are all linked. I, I, I happen to agree with you. And I think it's fascinating. Again, we've delved into these cases. I hope you guys have enjoyed this. Leave your comments down below. This is a, a continuing conversation. And next week, we're going to be looking at some of your comments, answering your questions, and we'll be diving into some more crime theory. So, John, thank you for joining us. Make sure you subscribe to uh, my channel, John's channel, and uh, the Sean Atwood channel with the bells on. Leave a like, share this video, and thank you for joining us. <clears throat> From me, Ron Swanson, as always, be safe out there, guys. Kilowatt was an aging con of 65 who stood a chance To stay alive and leave the joint and walk the streets again As the time he was to leave drew near he suffered all the joy and fear Of leaving 35 years in the pen Then on the day of his release he was approached by the police Took him to the warden walking slowly by his side the warden said you won't remain here But it seems the state retainer Claims another ten years of your life But we'll raise, raise the prison to the ground Help us raise